It's very difficult for Manchester United to stop that. What do you want them to do? Come out and deny every single link. With 22 links to different players on one day last week alone. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Waterford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jambalan! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. You are very welcome along to episode 22 of The Hurling Pod where we're looking back on Limerick's 131-226 victory against Kilkenny in the All-Ireland Final. After waiting 45 years for a title, the Treaty Men have now landed four crowns in five seasons, their 11th overall, with Garrod Hegarty scoring 1-5 from play in a man-of-the-match performance. The first time that Limerick have lifted the Lee McCarthy in three successive seasons, they become the first team outside the big three to do so, and their captain Declan Hannan made some individual history by becoming the first man to lift the cup four times as a skipper. John Kiley has described this success as the most enjoyable of their run going back to 2018 and they're now a remarkable 16 games unbeaten in the championship which stretches back to their semi-final loss to Kilkenny in 2019 which they avenged in the All-Ireland Final. Little consolation now for Kilkenny but 226 is the biggest ever scoring total by a losing side in an All-Ireland Final. Delighted to say James Skell, Paul Murphy are here to break down the final in the end of this season. Lads how are you getting on? Great Will. Good how's things guys? I'm surprised you say great, Paul. Um, but is that a reflection maybe of a happiness of the Kilkenny performance against Limerick? Because, you know, as awesome as this Limerick team have been, that's as hard as they've had an All-Ireland final as 2018. Yeah, look, there's no good way, I suppose, of, of losing a game. But when, like, you know, the display the Kilkenny team put in yesterday, I think every Kilkenny supporter is walking out there going, like, what more could they do against this great Limerick team? Like, it's, it's a tip of the hat as well, I suppose, to Limerick, really, because... You know, Kilkenny were down by six points at one stage and you're just there going, this game could get away from them very quickly. And they just kept staying in touch, staying in touch. They just kept fighting. That was really it. They just kept fighting. Um, so, like really coming away as a supporter, you're saying there was no more they could do. I'm sure the Kilkenny team themselves will go, you know, they'll, they'll potentially look back at it and say, oh, what about this or this? Or we could have we could have done X, Y and Z. But no, you have to think about these things in the 70 minutes. You only get one crack at it. And, you know, they, like I said, they, they died with their boots on. And I was, as a supporter, just really proud of their performance. So in one way, look, like I said, there's no great way of losing, but it's heartening, the performance. Um, and you couldn't ask any more for them. You, j- you just definitely couldn't. So look, as 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 All-Ireland finals go, it was an absolute cracker. Credit to Limerick. And our, our lads did us proud in the day. Yeah, when it comes to Kilkenny, Paul, there's some issues we can talk about, definitely around how the Limerick half-forward line got a lot of space and some of that's down to how well they played and some of it's down to Kilkenny's system. The puck-out didn't work all the time for Kilkenny during the game, which we can dig down into. But from an attacking perspective, TJ Reid puts in probably one of the best performances from a losing player in an All-Ireland final. But also there was some very kind of classic Kilkenny about the way that they took the game on. Uh, the two goals come from direct ball, which were well played in, and you know good flicks and work by their forwards to make the chances for Ryan and for Keown to score the goals. Showed that bit of grit, as you mentioned, at different times. Like I kind of wondered at halftime if Limerick were going to start running away early in the second half. They get six points up, but Kilkenny never really drift out of the game. And even it took a good finish from the game from Limerick to get over the line by two points in the end. There was a lot of kind of what I would call good traditional Kilkenny values about the performance yesterday. 
Yeah, there was. And when you look at half time, um, being down by four points, um, like you know, talk at half time, we were saying, look, well, this game is only going to open up a little bit more. Like bodies are going to get tired. It's very hot out there. You know, there's a lot of hits going in. So indications were there that possibly, you know, if if bodies get tired, a little bit of room will open up, and potentially Limerick might get through for another goal. But look, the opposite happened. Kilkenny came out and basically said, look, we threw, we're after throwing the kitchen sink at him here in the first half. We're going to have to find something a little bit more, and they did, and they found two goals. So like that was that was incredible to do that to get to to find something else and to I suppose penetrate a Limerick full back line that's been found very hard to do over the last few years and to snuff out two goals or to get two goals like that in itself. We said it last week they were going to have to get goals, and they went out there and they did that. So that's you know that's something that they deserve great credit for and. Anytime Limerick threatened to go ahead again, Kilkenny just said, no, get the scores, get the scores, just get back in touch of them, and then brought it back to a draw. So there were so many things about it, and there, you know, there was lots of performances around the pitch that, like you said, was traditional, I suppose what people would associate with traditional Kilkenny values or, or hurling or whatever you want. Like, you know, we, we talk of these systems at the moment of people working balls up the pitch and possessions and all these things, but, you know, there was great high, high fielding yesterday. There was direct ball. There was lots of hooks and blocks. You know, I saw a stat, I think Ray Boyne had it up there yesterday that Limerick had over 100, and I think Kilkenny were, were, were in the early 100s or maybe in the late 90s for hooks and blocks. So there were so many of of this day and age of talking about systems and all everything that goes with it and what goes on off the pitch in terms of the likes of Paul Knurk and these lads and what they bring to it. But you know, so much of the traditional hurling was there yesterday. And I think that's what whether you were you're in it for the tactics or you're a neutral that was just there enjoying the, the, the game of hurling and, and very little wides as well. So there was so much, not just from a Kilkenny point of view, from the traditions, but also from a Limerick point of view as well. Um but we certainly look from Kilkenny, from Kilkenny we're we're very proud of the way the boys <coughs> hurled. Yeah, James, it was a very efficient performance from both teams. I think it was only one wide from a free, which was the one that Old Murphy had to pop from, which was a long way out. Mm-hmm. And uh, even Limerick were able to pop that Dermot Burns one over from pretty much his own 21-metre line, which was a remarkable score into the hill uh, in the first half during the game. And shot selection generally was pretty good. I think I can only remember really one moment where TJ Reid had a, a chance from play that you probably will feel he should have done better from. The shot selection and execution was really good, which is why we had such a score fest during the game. First half maybe felt um, a little bit more like a, a flow where there was a bit of freedom, where there was just a lot of shots happening. For me as a neutral, I really enjoyed the battle of the second half. I don't know what your take was on it, Scal. Yeah, well, I, I just, I suppose as a neutral yesterday, if I was a supporter now, I would say in either camp, I'd be, you know, itching for, for, for uh, to be a KG, fair to say, on one side, and our, our team scored more. But from a neutral perspective, um, I was just, I was delighted with the performance of both teams. Like, I think both sets of forwards came to play and they performed on the biggest stage of the year so credit to both of them um, but I, I actually tweeted at half time that Limerick were on course for 40, 40 points like that, that's, that's, that was the efficiency that they, were, that, that they were producing and like if the scoreboard wasn't up on the television like you would have said that Limerick would be sure, nearly running away with it a bit uh, that they, were, they were vastly in front but Kilkenny just kept plugging and plugging and plugging like, like, like I've been saying all year that's what they're always in the fight it's, it's terribly terribly hard to knock them out if you know what I mean um, and that's just down to sure, sheer, I would say, grit, determination. Um, their forwards worked ferociously hard. You know, they, sometimes they have to do the job of two lads sometimes because of the way <clears throat> the style of play they have. But um, Limerick are just a colossus of a team. And I know we're, we're talking here, we're sitting here today and they're after win the third in a row. But we could be here next year, four in a row, and they're after five in a row. It's just, it's, it, it screams to me that whatever they want to achieve, they can achieve it. You know, because yeah. they, because I think they're, they're in control of their own destiny, if that makes sense, you know. Um, I know that the margins of victory have, have decreased somewhat, like when you consider 
like the last year's runner to the final they won the semi-final and and final by a cumulative 27 points whereas this year they won it by a cumulative 5 you know so you, you one would one would think that the pack is getting closer but I just I always feel like you know they have an extra step and then we can also throw in the mix that Keane Lynch is back next year you know so if you were taking any other team like if you took TJ out of the Kinney yesterday you know that the Kinney forwards would, would no, no doubt about it suffer dramatically so like we're sitting here after Limerick winning three in a row and they've done it without Keane Lynch like so that's just tell, that's a testament to the squad they have and the group they have and it's just uh, the sky's the limit to be honest yeah, because look, I think James, this probably enhances Limerick's legacy in ways too. Because you know they had to go most of the championship season without Keane Lynch. Like let's be fair, he gets injured very early in yeah. the second game. He has a bit of a cameo in the <coughs> semi-final. He's ruled out the final entirely, which was you know a horrible thing to happen on the week of the final for such an important player. To do so without a two-time hurler of the year, to have to find different solutions when Kyle Hayes got injured early in the championship as well. The machine in the system with Limerick, we've said it so many times, you can set your watch to them. Again, this is three All-Ireland finals in a row where they've gone past 30 points. Yeah. The machine just keeps ticking. Yeah, and it ticks very well. And it's like, they're, they're extremely adaptable. And I, I, one word I was, would, would say this year on their victory is significant. This is a significant victory they've won now because they've won the championship. You'd perceive it to be the hard way. You know, they've come through titanic battles, a number of battles. They didn't just cake it like, cakewalker like they did in the last couple of years. They've come through real stern tests the likes of Clare, Galway, Limerick, or <coughs> Kinney, really put it up to them, and they just always seem to have the answer. Like, and it's a, it's a, it's amazing how how adaptable they are. Because I I had the audacity to, back in oh here was a twenty twenty, I think it was twenty twenty lads when when Hayes and Nash went back in the backs, cornerback and wingback respectively, and I was thinking before we we're playing them, this, we could get at these lads because these these are forwards. Like that was just <laughs> hindsight is grand now, but here I am looking at them. They can play anywhere, you know. I, I honestly believe, I, I think Gary Chegarty plays centre-back for his club. Do you know? So, like, they're, they're, they're very adaptable. They can play anywhere. And so, if, if some lad falls and, and, and happens to be injured, like Keenan, Jesus, they filled the void very well. So, they filled it very well. And they found another hurler in Cotter O'Neill, who probably, not too many choices, don't get me wrong now, is in for a shout of hurler of the year. So, they have, like, it's... It's secret in one way for a goal because they have an embarrassment of riches, you know, and they have generational players. And I just, I, I, I you know, you'd nearly, you'd nearly be great for watching them if that makes sense, you know, because you get to witness the Hegartys, the Hayes, the Lynches, all these lads uh, playing at, at the, the, height, the height of their powers, going up against a team like Kilkenny and, and producing the magic of the gesture. Yeah, like I was into Declan Hannon, Paul, after the game, and he was talking about this great hunger there is among the group to try and build and to win more on this. And even um, this morning on OTBAM, they were chatting to some of the players, and Dermot Burns comes on and they're asking him if he's you know, having a fry after the night before. No, he was having his fruit and he was taking it easy for the day because, you know, he's trying to keep up the habit of what he does normally. This does not strike me as a team who are going to go off the boil. Like, this seems like a team who are determined to come back, and three in a row is not where they want to stop. No, yeah, and uh, you know, I think there's plenty of um, instances in, in in the papers and in media over the last 24 hours where that has been indicated, you know, and they talk about the future and more silverware and so on. So, it's it's plain to see where these lads' heads are at. Like, you know, the idea that maybe a few years ago people would say, "Well, look, now that they're winning, there's potential for the feet come off the ground and get carried away." Well, we can see that that's not there. Um, part of that will be down to John Kiley and that in terms of enforcing it in but a lot of that will be enforced by the group and how they actually just conduct themselves away from the pitch so the, the idea that Dermot Burns is eating fruit this morning that doesn't stand well for Kilkenny and Galway <laughs> over the next few years but um, look it's a testament to them it's a testament to you know I suppose they're, they're, they're planning ahead they're already preparing really I suppose for next year it's, it's a daunting task for any 
county to go up against them. But if if you're in any doubt over where these lads' heads are at, like it's 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 probably near to been turning towards twenty twenty three already. Like you know, so uh, yeah, look at hopefully we'll we'll try and trick him into having a few more fries. We might get Tommy Welsh down there during the week and to yeah. give him a talk about having a fry in two thousand five. But. Uh, but I- more for what, from a Kilkenny perspective now I, I, obviously we didn't have the, the, the pleasure of let's say what are they chasing now do you reckon like they're, they're not chasing just a singular title they're chasing legacy I'd imagine I'd say so I mean imagine at this stage now it's like it's not I think they're, they're going to take it year on year and next year when they go back they'll focus on that I, like I suppose it's not the end of like you know they're not looking to think of five years time or six years or whatever years time where they look at us as the greatest team. I think they're just enjoying the roller coaster at the moment of next year. When next year comes around, they're enjoying the celebrations now because they hadn't had them for three years. So next year comes around, I think they'll just enjoy the journey. I think that's what it's about. Like they're on they're on the crest of a wave at the moment, mm-hmm. but there's no point in wishing that time away and going. I hope we end up the greatest team. The only way you can do that is by going. Well, when next year comes around, we'll prepare properly. We'll go at it again. We'll enjoy every bit of it. We'll savor next year's All Ireland if they are to win it, for example. But the idea that their their heads are down the road, thinking you know we'll only be happy when we're the greatest team, it kind of nearly ruins the rest of it. Really, I think if if you don't savor the ones you're winning, so I think that's where they're at. Like they're well aware they can go down as one of the greatest teams ever, and only time will tell. But I think they're just savouring it at the moment with the kind of, I suppose, in the back of their head that, right, lads, keep this train on track and who knows where it can go. James, what about big match Hegarty here? Three fourteen, he's got now in All-Ireland Finals. 1-5 he scored in the final. You know, he had basically, he's almost started a competition for himself for goal of the year between the Munster final and the goal that he scored in the All-Ireland final. Mm. Um, I think there's probably a little bit more skill in how he had to set himself up in the Munster final. But that finish for the goal yesterday, there, there was nowhere really else to try and beat Murphy. It was just perfect into yeah, the top corner. Murphy, Murphy's too fast to try to get him at his near post. So you have to go try and get, get across his body so he's to bring the hurl across himself. But, uh, like, I was just really impressed. The pickup, no, no one talked about the pickup. Like, the yeah, pickup yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I know I know they touched on Seamus Flanagan's touch, which I don't know, was that even, was that even intentional? I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but I think he kind of half tripped himself. But um, the pickup was unreal. Like, turning the hurl, you know, the opposite direction, picking it up with the heel of the hurl, or hurley, and then to show huge power to actually hand off Richie Reid. You yeah. know, he gave him an actual physical rugby hand off and then pushed him out of his way. Like, Richie Reid is no small fella. Do you know what I mean? These are all conditioned hurdles. So for him to get the pick up, which is an execution of a skill that is extremely difficult in the midst of bodies everywhere, you know what I mean? And then to execute a goal at that across, in my opinion, the best goal ever. Like, that's just... It's, it's hard to draw awards to it. Do you know what I mean? But like, if you like... We were just chatting off, off before this. Like, I was saying about possessions and when, how many possessions you actually influence a game. Like, And for Garage Hegarty, like if you're, if you're getting 12 to 15 possessions in a game... You're pro- you're probably having a positive influence for your team. Garage Hegarty had twenty three, you know, and that just um, I don't know. Like for for a forward, let's say who who doesn't be in his back, so like but just to actually go and get the ball twenty three times is it's actually it's frightening. Do you know what I mean? It's frightening. So he's he's producing the goods uh, day in day out for him. say on the big days, our uh, final days, and look credit him fully deserved man of the match, and uh, like he's just. He's young, like it's, it's, I keep thinking of the team. I've, I've written written down here to say that they, they still have youth on their side, you know. So like they're not going away anytime soon. Let's say so. When you have players like Gary Chegarty, who may not produce the best performers the next day, then he upsteps Cal Hayes, and then he mightn't do it. Then upsteps Garen Glenn. It's just like a merry ground that they they all have the clientele, and that's why it's so difficult for opposition teams with matchups because, 
Like normally you put your best defender on their best forward, but they've got four or five forwards of equal capability. So it's very difficult for a team to nullify all of them. You know what I mean? That's why it's a, you know, it's 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 nearly an impossible task, and it's been proven to be an impossible task because when teams get get like Hugh Lawler did really well in Glen yesterday. To be honest, he did really well. You know, but then Hegarty steps up. You know what I mean? Whereas then Finchelbrock did excellent on Hegarty two weeks ago. Then Glen stepped. You know, so it's just it's it's difficult to uh, nullify them entirely. Yeah, before I ask you, Paul, about you know, how some of the other Kilkenny defenders did, um, just the stats on the possessions, because uh, Sean Flynn, the hurling analyst, sent these over literally just before we went to record. So, um, Gerard Hegarty had 23 possessions during the game, which was far beyond anyone else during the fixture. 15 in the second half, 8 in the first half, and you know, Gerard Hegarty was still shaking players off and scoring points in injury time at the end of the game he was almost running as hard then as he was at the start uh, next most possessions no great surprise because he got in a lot of ball going both ways was Barry Nash then you had Declan Hannan on 13 and then on the far side you've got TJ Reid and Adrian Mullen with 12 possessions respectively and you know Scale said generally if a player gets into double digits of possessions during a game that means you're pretty well involved you're probably getting on the ball you know, every five, six minutes you're making a meaningful contribution. But Garrod Hegarty, 23 possessions during the game, so he was very much dominant. The point on Hugh Lawler, because we were wondering who was going to pick up Galan last week, Paul, and we were wondering, was it going to be Mikey Butler that would be detailed on him, or whether Hugh Lawler would repeat the trick from 2019 and mark him again? Galan ends up, I think, with three points in play at the end of the game, but generally, Hugh Lawler did a very good job on him. Yeah, Hugh Lawler had, had a really great game um, on Galan, and I did think Mikey Butler would go with him, but you know, Mikey Butler and Hugh Lawler are two different types of players. Like, Mikey Butler will, you know, stick literally right beside you and go with you and flick and dispossess and so on. And again, that wouldn't be a bad option when you're marking Galan. Huey Lawler is something that maybe, maybe it's not lost because, you know, people have seen him mark really top inter-county players, but he's incredibly fast, which is something that it's deceptive how fast he is. And why that's important is... You know, he can afford to try and read the ball and if he gets steps away a yard or two and let's say the ball is moved out to the opposite side to where he was going to go, he can actually make that ground up on, on most inter-county forwards that he marks. And, you know, he was in a foot race so many times, even late in the game, he was in foot races with Galan that he dispossessed Galan. I think if one ball in the second half dropped down on the 21 out near the right corner back position and he just broke the ball through in behind him got it up and popped it off another one then straight in front of the goal himself and Galan were running and he was toast to and Galan is fast stayed with him and just dispossessed him just flicked it and knew there was another on-rushing uh, Kilkenny defender to just pick up the ball and like that mightn't be glamorous stuff but it's what you need out of your full back that they're capable of you know dispossessing your player staying with him at all times especially when you're dealing with so much space in front of you um, but he had an incredible game and like at the start you know Galan if he didn't drop the hurl uh, you know going through on goal and he kicked the point potentially there was a goal there yet but Galan's a dangerous forward he's in hurl of the year form he'll definitely I'd imagine be nominated in the top three certainly so for the job that Huey Lawler did to, to stem his influence especially after the semi-final he had um, you know he deserves huge credit for it and look he made the team of the year again last night for, for, for the Sunday game so look um, it was great performance and again you know these are things that players despite losing can take away from at least look you know he didn't he had an immense performance and created somewhat of a platform for Kilkenny to potentially go on and, and, and win the match well Paul a few yards further out and James already mentioned the fact that you know it was the inside forward line from Limerick who did a bit more of the score in the last day and the half forwards a bit quieter then those roles get reversed this time around and it's one thirteen from the half forward line this time um, you know obviously one five of that coming from Hegarty they did a lot of damage. Why did it happen? 
Well, you could see that there, it was quite apparent from, from the Limerick puckouts, you know, uh, they were coming quite narrow and then breaking out to the sides. And this is not something new that Limerick do, but they utilised it really well yesterday. And I think one of the things that worked really well was before when we would have played Limerick, they were kind of the first team that we encountered that brought it into a ball in the middle, let's say in the centre-back position, and just broke out. But back then, once, you know, let's say any team copped onto it or we copped onto it, we just stood on the outside and left the Limerick players in the middle. And then I'd stay right and someone would stay left. And you would then, that's negating then their tactic of breaking into that space. But what they're doing now is they're coming narrow. And Nicky Quaid is waiting, waiting, waiting. And he's not just striking the ball into that space. Before, Nicky might just strike it into the space. And it's the business of the Limerick player to win it. But if you look at Nicky Quaid from the camera behind the goal, he's looking, he's going, no, that's not the run I want, that's not the run I want. And he's looking, looking. And he he has two or three options nearly every time where, and it was evident yesterday, where he was looking, going, right, I have Kyle Hayes, Garrod Hegarty, I have whoever making runs here, Tom Morrissey. And I think the Kyle Hayes one, where Kyle Hayes got the point, was the best example of it. Like, it was just a massive foot race. And again, trying to beat a foot race with those ads is no, is no easy task. Kyle Hayes broke out to the side and the ball landed in front of him. It wasn't that a case as well also that Kyle Hayes had to go and catch the ball. So often the ball was bouncing in front of him, they could take it into the body and then their physicality would take over. They could just push off a Kilkenny player, they could take them on. So they might seem like small differences in the way Limerick used to play it, but it maximises all the characteristics, the really strong characteristics that the Limerick player had, their physicality. Like when they have the ball in the hand, like we saw it yesterday, Garrod Hegarty and Kyle, they were literally just pushing players back and then just, and in fairness, Walter Welch did it similarly enough in the second half. I think um, I think he did it to Darrow Donovan where he got his point. You know, once these physical players, big players, have the ball in their hand and they have it in the chest, it's nearly too late then. You know, you're nearly going to have to foul them at that stage. So, you know, the half-back line for Kenny did did find it this tough to deal with. Um, and as you can see, look, 113 coming off it. Again, they did make a few moves. David Blanchfield coming on, again, did, I suppose... Have a, have a good effect on that you know as in he got involved he got a point as well um, but you know a few of the Kilkenny backs Paddy Deegan got, I think popped up with two or three as well so they at times they seemed to compete really well and they competed really well in the air but Limerick were just far too dominant in terms of the quality of ball they were getting and you know the half back line have to say that they, they did find it tough to deal with that and I think the sideline as well were kind of looking to see what moves could they make to actually nullify it a little bit more did they wait too long though? Like Blanchfield, I thought did quite well generally on Hegarty when he came on, but like Hegarty was obviously doing serious damage before that, and they kind of waited to what about ten, fifteen minutes into the second half before making that change. Yeah, and I think part of it what what may have happened, like you see, Mikey Carey popped up at a point. I think Paddy Deegan got two or three. You know, Richie Reid was was getting on a decent amount of ball. Um, I think any time where they potentially talked about maybe making a, a switch someone might pop up at a point or the Kilkenny might get one or two points and they go, well, listen, hold on. Like, I think it was something in, in that line because, you know, the calls certainly were there to be made and obviously, you know, the lads on the line recognised it by bringing on David Blanchfield. But yeah, I suppose hindsight being the great thing is maybe they would have felt that that, to, I suppose, to lose out on the bit of going forward and getting the scores going forward if they actually just tightened it up a small bit there in the half back line, they might have reaped a little bit more reward off it. But, they're the decisions that had to be made make during the game and you know I suppose looking back on it will will the management look at that and say we could have made a few swaps they probably will um, no no team wants to score let a half forward line score one thirteen off them but I think any time Kilkenny looked like they were just about to get a foothold Limerick just overpowered them again and it just seemed to be that arm wrestle for the whole thing and obviously the arm wrestle of Limerick won out in the end but 
look, those are the calls that the lads on the sideline have to make, and maybe, maybe it was just a, a fraction too late by the time they made it. Yeah, reactions were there from Limerick when both the goals went in in the second half. James, to ask you about Nicky Quaid, because you've already been um, been praising Murphy there a second ago about you know, how good a goalkeeper he is and saying he's one of the best of all time. Nicky Quaid has to be one of the best distributors of a puck out of all time because you know, Kilkenny were not allowing them to get easy ball out with the puck outs. It was almost like there was a temptation to go, right, put the ball out a little bit longer. And Quaid's accuracy, helped by the fact that you've got players like Will O'Donoghue and you know the half-forwards who are such good at winning their own possession anyway, and they make very good runs. But Nicky Quaid did an excellent job of putting the ball in the right places yesterday. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle that. But what Murph was indicating there with the straight line, with the boys making the runs, that makes the goalkeeper's job so much easier. Like You don't put the ball where he is, you put the ball where he's going to be, which is way easier than putting the ball down top of a lead's throat you know, for... For efficiency levels, you could say. So the runs that, that Hegarty and, and Hayes were making, whereby they were doing double direction runs, like they, they can create separation, a bit like an NFL wide receiver. Do you know what I mean? Creating separation is the hard part. And once separation is created, it's nearly, you're, you're, you're forcing the goalie to put the ball where, wherever separation is created. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, so it's, like, it's, like, it's like the outfielder forces our decision. Do you get me? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you have a, a situation whereby there's guys and it's, a, it's going to be 50-50, that stops you. Goal is not going to hit down there. You say, forget about that. But if you see something like a Gary Chagrity creating three or four yards from a, from a Paddy Deegan, you go, that's, that's where I'm putting it. I'm putting it into space and, he, and he'll make it there. Um, but like, then you have to go and do it and recognise that. So Nicky, it seems like the runs are, are being timed off Nicky's body language. So if Nicky's there with a, with a long grip on the hurl and he's waiting and waiting, that's nearly signifying to the forwards. I'm not getting what I want here, lads. So change it. So move it again. Do you know what I mean? So that's why they change direction. Then he triggers it off. And if all else fails, then he might go with a short one. So like he's he's deci- the, the execution is great. Don't get me wrong, but his decision making is excellent as well. In, in in terms of he always like nine times out of ten he seems to always find the right option or choose the right option. Should I say, even with a balance between going short, going mid range, going long, he seems to be always be able to kind of play the game with the opposition forwards and backs, so they can never really get get to grips with what he's going what he's going to do. You know, so like they can. They can think when well, the last one went long, now it's going to go long again, then he goes short and so on, and keep playing the game with them. You know? Whereas in Kilkenny's instance, I, I, I thought that when like when they go direct, they go very direct, right? But when, when they go short, it's like they're looking going, right, now what's the plan? Yesterday, do you know what I mean? So when, when the ball went, uh, who got, mainly Mikey Butler got the ball, mostly in the sharp coats, you could say. Um, it's like he got the ball and said, right, who am I giving this to? And there has to be a serious demand from, from your midfield, from your half your half back line to go and take the ball to move on to the next phase. Whereas and Limerick always do that. You could see it's so evident, uh, especially in the goal game when I was at it, where the ball goes to Nash. And next thing you just see Will O'Donoghue and you see uh, O'Donoghue charging through, give me the ball. You know, and then they get the ball and then Hannon's coming through for a support run and next thing the whole field is open up for, for, the, for a good ball into the, gla- the glands of this world. Um, and it's just, I didn't get that sense after King yesterday. So what Limerick have produced from a puck-out perspective, yes, it's, it's down to individual excellence, don't get me wrong, but it's off the training field. I know it was, it was highlighted last night uh, on, on the Sunday game, I say for for a good bit, but it's it's the truth. Like it's just it's repetition, repetition, and players be on the same level and knowing exactly what the team requires. So if you do a short book out, like that cornerback can't just lump it long, you know, unless there's space up up top, he has to he has to get someone in the, in the mid range, and it's bravery too, like because it's it's hard to go and demand that ball when there's a guy up up uh, up uh, right right on your back, I say, and then then to execute it, which they do so well. Like their execution level at Limerick across the board is just fantastic. Like. The, the, the pressure that they can actually exude, let's say, and still execute the skills of the game is, is second to none. And that, that's, that's kind of why they're a small bit of a level above. Yes, they're very well structured, they're very well coached, but their players themselves are so skillful and they can execute so well under pressure that uh, it doesn't matter how hard you tackle them or how hard you graft them, they're still able to produce the goods. 
Well, Paul, given that Kilkenny left their forwards in a very advanced position when it came to the Limerick puck out, it was a very conscious decision not to allow them to play a short puck out and come back out the field with it. Were, would there have been any temptation within the Kilkenny team to try and mix that up a little bit, given that the longer range puck outs were actually working out quite well for Limerick? Yeah, I suppose there must have been, but it obviously was a game plan of Kilkenny that they, they prioritised. Like, okay, well, given the simple ball, like we saw a lot of examples yesterday of, of Limerick where they got the ball literally on their own 14. And, they, and they, it's not that they walked it out, but they worked it out so well that it was just seamless. So Kilkenny seemed to have looked at this and went, well, this longer ball seems like an area where we potentially could win a little bit more if if we have our... I suppose if we have our ducks in a row, we can actually stamp this out and it gives our team a better chance of creating a platform going forward. So let's push up. And it was kind of a case they had to pick one or the other. And in the first half, you know, there was actually a few few stages there. Paddy Deegan caught a great ball. Mikey Carey caught another great one. I think we got a score off it. They were, they were getting the kind of ball they wanted uh, to be delivered into the Limerick forward line. But eventually Limerick started changing it so that they got the type of ball they wanted delivered into the... And at that stage then... It was a case of Kilkenny had to decide, right, now that Limerick are delivering the type of ball that they want, do we step away from the game plan or do we stick staying up forward? And look, they stuck with staying up forward. I actually think that probably in this instance, because of the way they were set up at the backs um, and the reason that they didn't want to actually just give Limerick that easy ball... I do probably think it maybe was the better option because you're you're kind of damned if you do or damned if you don't with these Limerick lads. Like, you know, as if you sat right back on those lads, they have the ball carriers to just pop it out to them and Barry Nash and all these lads and suddenly they're starting and they're running at you. They're coming at you running. Whereas the option that Kilkenny went for was that, okay, well, we'll go, when they get the ball, at least they're facing away from our goal. But like, obviously we can see the result was is that they were quickly able to turn that around into running at your goal. So, um, Kilkenny just, I think, look, Kilkenny said, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stick with it for good, bad, or indifferent. This is what we're going to do. We're going to stick with it. And I think they realised that even stepping away from that game plan, you were just playing into the hands of Limerick in another way. So, I think they, they realised they had to work it out for them with the puck outs either way. Yeah, it's one of those things, Scott. I was reading um, a lot of the pre-match stuff on Saturday on the way to work and, and the McAvoy written in the Irish Examiner. What felt like very blunt and very simple, but I entirely get the logic about what he was saying as a prediction, which was that if Limerick play to the way that Limerick can play, there's probably not a team out there right now to beat them. So if, if Limerick operate at their level, it's almost impossible to stop them. And in many ways, probably Kilkenny scoring the two goals, sticking with them, all of their frees going over almost everything went right for Kilkenny and yet Limerick just have that level to be a little bit ahead of them. Yeah, and that, that, that's, that's the reality of it. Now, that's not being disingenuous to any team or disrespectful, that's just reality. Um, and that's what, that's what happens with the great teams. Like it's, There's nearly like a... You remember when Barcelona were in, when the, you know, the real pompous say a few years back in the mid-2000s, like, you know, that's kind of the feel at the minute that we're right. They're just at a level that's just... They've, they've separated from everybody else. Um, now, we can, and we can touch on the players and everything, but they're just... They're really well structured, really well organised, and I keep re- using the phrase this. They always have the answer. So I don't know is that is that mess just getting from the backroom team and management onto the, onto the pitch, or is this pre rehearsed or pre pre reviewed? It looked to me yesterday that, that they knew that Kikini were going to push up on their puck out, and hence they had the long ball you know, re- rehearsed or, or fine tuned to say. Whereas Galway did the opposite. Galway w- went back to try and notify the forwards, and they still worked it out perfectly well from the back. So. It's just they, just they just seem to have the answer and we keep using these, these terms and cliches like the generation teams but that's just the reality that's what they are if they perform at the best of their ability which seems to be what they're trying to do every day themselves you know it's like they're challenging themselves putting the main focus on themselves to produce the goods they'll know within that they'll beat everyone 
that's the truth so if they keep performing at a level that they they believe to be required or, or to be you know, um, sufficient should I say no one's beating them nobody's beating them because they have the clientele and they have they have the, they have the players you know that's that if those players perform just unfortunate for every other team at the moment the opposition don't have the same number of top top level players you know and I was going back through my, my notebook there Will, right? yeah, go on there's the <laughs> player ratings reviewed no I, I went back to the player ratings and I, and I just just for interest I, I said anyone who I gave a 9 to on both teams did they operate at a 9 level yesterday so like I'm just looking at the Limerick team and I was saying okay did Nicky operate at 9 yes he did Sean Finn 9 8 or 9 uh, Barry Nash yes Jeremy Burns yes uh, I had Keane Lynch obviously didn't start Kyle Hayes yes Garrett Tegarty yes Garen Glenn yes all operated ninth you know what I mean so they they produce the goods when it, when it matters most so if those, those boys produce the goods on, on, on a big deal like that no one can take them what did you have Declan Hannon down for pre-game was it an 8? I had an 8 yeah I think he performed a bit, a bit better than an 8 yes. oh he did yeah 100% like he, he uh, would you believe like his success like it's amazing like he he went into my just unbeknownst to me went into my hurler of the year bracket you know, it's just he's been so consistent, let's say. And but he hasn't—he doesn't like do anything marvelous. He just does the simple things really well, and he's a—he's a vital cog in that team. He's not like the—you know—the glue around around everybody else. Let's say he's a—he's just a guy that defends really well, and his possession count. I'd love to see. I don't have the, the statistics in front of me, but I'd love to see when he gets possession of the ball, how much of it does actually is actually turned over, how much does he actually give away. I'd say it's in the very very low percentages. I'd say he's even less than five percent because he seems to be so efficient on the ball, and every ball he strikes seems to go to some lad's hand. So like he's just a br- he's a brilliant platform for for teams uh, for his own team to go forward and a, and a good leader by all accounts. Yeah, like that's one of the things, Murph. When it comes to Hannon, he does so much of the kind of quiet cleanup work remarkably well, and then he'll bring out the ball and play very good ball into his teammates and keep the ball taken over. There was one point where I thought it was kind of vintage Hannon yesterday. It was in the early in the first half where the ball came down and he got absolutely swarmed and it looked like he was going to be pushed out towards the sideline still he managed to shield the ball and actually get out he's got that bit of strength and he's even got that little bit of speed when needed uh, when players were putting pressure onto him and Hannah made sure he wasn't going to get turned over yeah yeah he does and it, like again it's very deceptive he he won a great free as well in the first few minutes as well maybe it's the same instance we're talking about there where he just you know he didn't foul the ball held on to it he's being surrounded but he didn't didn't panic for all the world you know he was still looking for an out with the ball and he, he what Declan Hannon is brilliant at doing and it seems to be a thing of all Ireland finals is this driving forward through the centre back position at really important times in the game and you hear the crowd lifting like you know as in they came out with a few balls at that stage pretty sure he popped up with a score yesterday still a whirlwind yeah. in my head yeah. yeah and it was this score this typical Declan Hannon score of running up through the middle and like the crowd nearly expected at this stage but because like you think back to his um, his, his art school reach days like where he was just he, he was the, the big name in the country like you know he was the centre forward at the time and he was he was being lauded, lauded as this like incredible hurler which he is but now what we see him very much at the moment is he's, he's the fulcrum of that of that back line like of all these lads we talk about the great hurlers that they have Similarly enough to the way Keane Lynch holds it together in the forwards at centre forward and, and makes all the plays, Declan Hannon seems to do this for the backs and then when needed just steps up and goes up the pitch, drives forward and nearly resets the team again. Um, there was a few stages there, I think even in the second half where again there was a ball, Kilkenny were driving in towards the Limerick goal, broke down and next thing who comes out with it, only Declan Hannon running out and straight away there was just an eruption in the stadium that he came out with the ball. So like he just does all the simple things so well but then when it's necessary he does the captain's role of stepping up and just goes right I'll take this by the scruff of the neck and doesn't do anything absolutely you know outlandish or anything just steps up ball in the hand 
pops it over the bar or gives off a really good ball that sets up a score and settles the team again. So like I don't know what more you really want from a captain than than, than those qualities. And James, nice bit of leadership. And I know this fears into sentimentality, but at the end of the game, to bring Keen Lynch up to be the first ever um, guy to lift the Lee McCarthy while wearing a cap and he had his crutches <laughs> with him as well. But like given that, you know, Lynch was fighting back for so long to try and come back from the hamstring injury originally, to get that knock in training during the week that KOs him out of the final, which would have been a huge blow to him. To bring Lynch up to actually be part of the presentation shows that little bit of leadership to, you know, pass a bit off to a very important other member of the panel as well. Yeah, because I, I'd say probably the last probably three or four months for Keane Lynch has been nothing short of mental torture. That's, that's what happens when you get long-term injury because like, you're missing out on everything. Fine weather is coming, the ball is speeding up, you trained all winter, let's say, to get to, get to this stage and then you get injured. And there's nothing you can do about it, only do your, your rehab as best you can, right? And then when you go through that long, hard road of getting back from an injury, then to go and suffer another one in a different body part entirely, it's just, you know, it's nearly soul-destroying really think of it as coming from the final so I can imagine Declan Hannah Wintram probably only after the game nothing pretty harsh you can be sure of that only after the game and I'd say probably Keane Lynch maybe denied it for the first you know couple of requests I'd say probably that that, that strikes me as the type of fella he is he, he said no he doesn't want any full stack but I'd say Declan Hannah just probably caught him and brought him up um, nice touch and like that would be appreciated for uh, Keane I'd say Keane Lynch would appreciate that gesture you know it just it kind of shows to me like they're you know they're a galvanised group if that makes sense, you know, they're a galvanised group and they they seem to be very kind of for each other, if that makes sense, you know, um, which is terribly hard to stop in a winning team. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I wish they weren't. <laughs> I wish they weren't, to be honest. I wish they hated each other. But uh, look, they just, they're ticking all the boxes. They have everything going for them, let's say. And they have a good leader in Declan Hannon. Like, he doesn't, uh, he, he performs through action. Like, he, I, he doesn't strike me as a man who has who was tons and tons of verbals in dress rooms. He just kind of leads on the front and is there for everyone. So, uh, yeah, look, I'm, as I said to you earlier on, uh, well, it's an embarrassing, embarrassing riches to have. I was just thinking though as well when they actually brought up, like, think back to earlier in the year where that motion was put forward that dual captains and two lads can't go up and collect the cup. Yeah. But, like imagine in fairness that, that was enforced yesterday, Keen Lynch. You want to be a brave man now to walk down and deny Keen Lynch. You've got a belt with a crutch. But like when you think about it, like I mean we talked about that earlier in the year, like you know that motion that was put forward which just seemed to be, I don't know who put that forward. But like, Imagine we missed out on that moment yesterday, which was a great moment, all because of, I don't know why you wouldn't allow two people to collect the cup, but uh, it's just funny how times move on, that a rule can be in for for a few weeks and then disappear completely. Don't yeah, get started I, I, on rules, Murph. I think, I think <laughs> the official reason that was given for that rule, by the way, was to clean up the presentation of cups, I think was uh, what was in the siding for it. I couldn't believe it at the time, because a lot of people thought it was... Um, you know, primarily because of COVID, this yeah. idea of kind of keeping separation when people were going up to get the cups. But no, it was all about uh, apparently cleaning up uh, the idea it's of a it, uh, presentation. It's a strange term, cleaning it up. It wasn't yeah. getting out of hand. It wasn't getting messy. And, you know, dozens of people going up collecting the cups. So uh, I still don't don't buy that. Nah, nah, who cares? Like as like as a neutral watching on, who gives a crap if two people are lifting the cup as opposed to one? Mm. Um, we also had Michael O'Leary ninety eight in contact on the Instagram, and I'll give this to you, Paul, because look, it's not deciding factor within the game, but I saw a few people commenting about this, and I did feel sometimes that maybe Kilkenny weren't entirely getting the rub. But um, the idea that as a neutral, Michael says he was watching, were Kilkenny finding it a bit harder to get freeze during the second half, particularly? I don't. Uh, I think it'd be very hard to say that that they were finding it hard to get freeze. If I'm honest, I did. There was ones, of course, when like I was in the stadium, 
and you're seeing it, you're, 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 you know, you're on edge, you're there going, that should be a free day. There certainly was ones that were on the borderline, but I don't think any Kilkenny supporter was coming away from the game yesterday going, we were hard done by. Like, because I'm sure if I sat down and I, you know, you talk to any Limerick person who was sitting there, I'm sure there's freeze in their head that they thought were freeze. I'm trying to think, there's nothing that overly jumps out at me. I know there was one in the second half, I think TJ. Um, was after winning the ball and I think you know Limerick were doing great swarming and I think at one stage it was like oh that that was maybe a little bit too much you know as in if a free was blown I don't think many people would have argued but overall no I don't think you can be you can't be hard on, on column lines in it um, because I think the best example is just at the moment there's nothing overly jumping out at me whereas if I go back to even maybe the Leinster final or something at this stage, I could probably pick out one or two where like, oh, that was a bit harsh on either side or whatever. So considering with the intensity the game was played yesterday, um, and look, again, I suppose the fact that we're running two points in it, maybe people look at these a little bit more, say if we got that free or we got that free, that would have tipped the scale for us. But no, look, as a Kilkenny person, I don't have any begrudges over um, the decisions. Um, there's nothing that jumps out at me where I could say, Jesus, we were really hard done by there. There was no big blatant penalty calls. There was nothing like that. Um, I think Colin Lyons tried to ref it as best he could and and try to keep the, the, the element of physicality in it as well. So, um, yeah, look, hopefully... Hopefully that 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 uh, shows my unbiasedness now going forward. <laughs> no, no cards either. Like uh, it's one of those things they always say um, when it comes to a match scale that a referee would probably not want to be talked about the next day. When you think about it, I, I don't think there's any huge arguments against the way the column lines referee the game. There were no massive contentious decisions, no cards being flashed. Generally, we're talking today about you know the skill. We're talking about the goal that was scored by Hegarty. Particularly, we're not talking about really anything that happened from the officials at all. Well, don't get me started now, Will. Wait, go on, you get started. So, umpires, let's. All right, go on, yeah. Umpires, come on. Like I was behind Garrod Hegarty's one now, and I was going even as I was saying to you off air. There was beside a lad from Cork and a lad from Leitrim, and they were going, "What was that? What was wrong with that one?" I I, I struggle to understand to comprehend how they're getting these decisions wrong. Like you know. Because, as I said before, <clears throat> football, like, I get it. Football, it curls, you know, it's, it's, it's a big ball. It goes very, very high above the post, say. But a slither nine times out of ten carries, carries a true line. So I'm just, I'd be looking at umpires saying, why don't you just position yourself behind the goalie? Because if a goalie's facing, let's say, out to the, the ten wing forward, get, get yourself behind him. And then you'll be, be able to make a fine decision. But some of their position is fucking cash. Like, I don't know where they're setting up or how they're, they're thinking they're going to look at the ball the way it is. Um, and it's like Hawkeye grand if it's close but there's Hawkeye decisions where they were two foot inside the post <laughs> and you're saying to yourself Lord above like what are they looking at but yeah that's my rant about the umpires but well, in general column lines do well well I, I was wondering Scott, when it came to <clears throat> Hawkeye the Hawkeye operators were probably delighted because I think the first one that went up was about two or three feet inside the post and yeah. all week right. we would have been wondering <laughs> about <laughs> the technology working and you're thinking well that's the easiest Hawkeye decision we're ever going to see I was expecting yeah. a football to arrive onto the screen and said, if this happens now call the whole thing off we'll all go home <laughs> you football on the brain no more yeah, Shane, Shane, Shane Welch's point was just going to get the, the, the go ahead there the, the tall yeah I'd love to know that. I'm not green on the umpire but I am actually but I, I'd, love to really know, I, I'd love to know I'd love to know how are they are they trained you know to, for, for positions is there training for umpires I haven't a clue I don't know but, but I think there is a bit of a hangover though from the fact that generally the umpires are club mates or friends of the referee who tend to be like extremely loyal to them and <coughs> go around yeah. as their umpires all the time um, yeah. maybe it should be a case of having trained umpires who are perfect neutrals doing the posts at big games yeah I wonder like even even if I take my own experience in club games like it's it's 
it's an absolute rarity that a Rowan Park gets a decision wrong. So I'm, I'm just I'm saying, where's the disconnect between club and county games? Like, and you can imagine it's the same instance that say in, in club games whereby nine times out of ten the four umpires are club mates or, for, or personal friends. So that you'd, you'd imagine they don't get too much training; they just they just come along, and it's their experience of the sport you could say. From, but like I I cannot actually think of an instance in the last number of years where an umpire in any of our games got anything wrong. And there's been some some close calls. Now don't get me wrong, I helped them. If there's a close one, I kind of swayed them as well. But <laughs> Like Murphy was doing yesterday, he was waving everything right. Like, you know, what was the score? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, actually, I, I saw it during the week there where they were <clears> saying, <throat> GA were saying that they were going testing Hawkeye, obviously, after last weekend. They were going testing it. So I was thinking they were going to need a few lads to go up and strike a few wides up in Crow Park. So I was raging I didn't get the call there. I was a perfect candidate there to start slapping wides until 16. But, uh, <laughs> but if, if we either, either or, I can do either, James. It doesn't matter. I kicked the wide until 16 uh, last week. So I'm all for the wides in any sport. So it's grand. <laughs> rigorous testing they claimed I was just thinking Scale, would you ever been tempted to do what Comerford was doing uh, did you see what he was doing with trying to make the post sway during the Shawnee O'Shea score Evan Comerford is it mm. um, I, 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 I was a st- I was a different for uh, hitting the post hitting the crossbar right. and then the, every ref just said just stop just get out yeah. of it yeah. Yeah. so then I just stopped I kind of grew out of it to be honest with you. <laughs> the no, but the only tricks I have now would be thrown out a bad ball let's say or thrown out a wet ball or you know Having a few, trying to put them off, let's say, waving hurdles. But moving the crossbar was the first. I, it's one thing in football you can you can do that, but in, in a hurling game, the ball comes in so fast, you might get your, your you might get your arse back into the goal quick enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I wouldn't chance that now. And you might well have pulled it too far to one side and maybe allowed the point to go over too. We talked about Richie Hogan last week, Paul, and about the fact that he had no game time and. He came on in almost exactly the circumstance you had mentioned. You thought a point or two down, the game is in the mix, it's gone towards the last 10 minutes. That's the time that Cody would bring Hogan on. He got a great reception when he came on, which is probably the respect of a former hurler of the year, and both sets of fans gave him a you know, great reception when he came on. Scored a point to level the game, but then probably didn't really feel enough of the slitter after that. No, he didn't, and it was, um, yeah, look, as I said, I believe that he would come on, let's say, when Kenny were two points down, because he's the type of player that can just turn a game, he's a, you know, he's a very intelligent player, and it, it's not simple to come on into any match, never mind an All-Ireland final, but, you know, when he came on, the first position to have to be a ball out in the sideline, and it was a kind of a typical Richie Hogan score, and as soon as he struck it, it was just straight over the bar, draw the game as well, like, I mean, you couldn't ask for a more pressured shot, Um so yeah but that, that, I suppose that was it after that then it was just the positioning of where were they going to get him to get him onto the ball um, he, was, he was kind of locating himself in towards the goal a little bit more as well but look at um, it was great to see Richie coming on uh, and again I suppose I, I saw he went over and I think he went on to Mike Casey kind of straight away and you see Mike Casey coming over and shaking hands with him straight away look I know that's the type of thing the lads would do but like, I think Richie kind of has the respect of so many defenders and stuff you know he's a likeable fella and you know you're going to get a tough battle out of him but it was great to see the reception he got he did have an impact when he came <coughs> on I'm sure he would have liked to get on a few more balls but um, you know I was walking down to Crow Park yesterday and I bumped into a few people a few club mates and, and a few other people as well and it just seemed to be the question of like people were asking will Richie start like this is this is the way they were looking at it but it was great to see him get on anyway I know the circumstances didn't work out uh, as we would have liked but like it just goes to show you you know he didn't get chances during the year and the one chance he gets is you know uh, coming down the home straight of an All-Ireland final he pops up gets a point to draw the game and you know anything could happen from there and you know certainly with a few more other balls given to him 
you, he would have been really a banker to maybe get a point or even one of these typical Richie Hogan goals. So um, it was great to see and he did have the impact. But look, I suppose no more can be said. Sometimes, look, you're, 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 you're coming into a really good Limerick backline as well. So you're not going to get everything your own way either. So the fact he got a great point, um, I'm sure he would have been happy with his impact yesterday. He has a decision to make now at this stage, James. You know, game time has been limited over the last two years, particularly limited this season, as we mentioned last week. It's hard to give that full slog to be around to maybe just be an impact player for one or two games a season. He has probably a big choice to make this winter. Yeah, I, he does. Like, and the thing about it is, like, he, he looked in fine condition yesterday. I, I genuinely thought over the last couple of weeks that he he's a long-term injury because we hadn't seen anything of him. Because I, and I admit this, like, I do have a soft spot for Richie in terms of like, the respect I have for him as a hurler. And I know Murph, some people might look at you and say uh, he's your club mate and you might say there's a, a touch of a biased opinion but everything you say is 100% like I, I can tell you hand in heart if I saw him coming after, from the start of the game you'd be saying that that needs watching do you know what I mean because mm-hmm. he, he, I think he has it all to be honest low ball high ball and he's a great thinker I, I, he's one of those these forwards that let's say you have to keep your as, as the play is developing you have to keep your eye on him because he, he moves into pockets of space and demands the ball so I, I personally now I don't know the circumstances fully but in terms of his condition, he looked great. His touch looked fucking really good yesterday, as you can, as you can tell. So I'm struggling just to understand how he didn't start the game and how he hasn't featured more in the year. Um, so from his own perspective, when he's playing well, by all accounts, from the information I have, right? When he's playing well, there's not from you, Murphy, either, don't worry. <laughs> and he's in good condition and he's injury-free. Like, that's probably hard for him to deal with if he's not getting the minutes. You know, because if you're, if you're a top intercounter hurler like he is and he's producing the goods in training and they're not getting the reward of the game time, that's, then, he's, then he needs to make a life decision. He's, uh, do I really want to put in the time and effort and the headspace? Like A lot of people forget about that. Like The headspace of being, uh, it's not like mental turmoil sometimes when you're not playing in and out of a team and you're trying to wonder why, what's gone wrong, etc. Maybe he's just basically moving himself out of that situation. But again, that's not for me to say. I, I still think he should be back next year and he should be a big part of the Kinney squad. Um, but he'd probably look at his own situation. Um, professionally, what does he do, Murph, actually? Well, he, he was working in Crow Park there. Um, I think he finished up lately enough. He was the commercial manager in Crow Park. Um, but he's doing a Master's in Trinity at the moment in marketing. So, um, look what I'd say. He has a lot. In terms of work, he's a busy man. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. he has a lot on his plate. And, like, he's, he's an ambitious fella as well. So, like, you know, there's, there's potential there. I, I, I know Richie to a certain extent. But, like, you know, Richie can keep his car as close to his chest, as I'm sure a lot of people do in terms of their work life and what their plans are for the future. But... Like, you know, that man, he he has plans for his work life as well. So, like, as we see lots of players maybe step away because of because of work, because of whatever. So there's potential there that Richie might go, yeah, absolutely. But I don't know, and I don't know, like, he may have, he, I'm sure he's thought about it at this stage, but I'm sure he's just enjoying, I suppose, the, the wind down at the moment with the lads and having a few drinks at the moment. And, um, yeah, sure, look at here. I mean, I think once you get to a certain age in hurling, every year you're kind of deciding, or football or whatever it is, you're deciding, will I go again the next year? So I'm sure Richie has had these thoughts, but um, look, the next few weeks will show what his thoughts are for next year. Murph, like we've been lauding TJ Reid, and look, I think it's perfectly understandable why we've been lauding him too. Weirdly, it's probably the best performance from a forward who didn't score from play within a game because all his points came from freeze. But the amount of primary possession that he won, like the amount of times the hand went up in the air and TJ Reid came back down with the ball and it either resulted in winning a free which he popped over himself or creating a good chance for a teammate. We spoke about it last week. He's 35 later this year. Like Henry in 2012, I think was 33 at that stage. So TJ is now older than Henry was. And we were all loading Henry for, you know, one of the great performances towards the end of his career in that All-Ireland final. 
PJ Reid is still operating at a hell of a level. Like in actual, probably earlier the year conversation at the end of the year, at nearly 35 years of age. Yeah, and the only thing is, like we were talking about it um, coming home yesterday, like we are just saying, like, you know, it's probably the common conversation that lots of people have, and no one's having it with the Limerick lads because they're all under 30. But, like, you know, I was having it with my wife coming home in the car, going, you know, who will stay on or who might go? Because, again, just lads are, you know, past the 30 mark, some lads there. And the only reason I would say that TJ would stop is because I was saying he's 35 at the end of the year. But I had to remind myself that that's not a reason for him to stop. Like you know, as in when you see how he's how he's working there, how he's operating on the pitch, there is no reason I can see why TJ would stop. Um, so again, it's it's this it's this I suppose uh, the stigma of age. Age isn't the reason you stop. Again, it's the body. Can the body go again? Can the mind go again? Do you want to go again? So those are the things TJ Reid has to ask himself. We talked about it last week as well. The condition he's in, he, he's looked after himself so well that he can go again next year. So. I think the only reason that people will ask will TJ go again this year is because lots of people by his age have retired at this stage because they're just not able to go. TJ will be able to go next year um, and it's only up to TJ again, no more than Richie. It's only up to TJ to answer that himself whether he wants to go again um, or whether he decides, you know what, I've given a huge amount to this and the body is in a great condition. Let's not go to a stage where maybe I pick up a few injuries or whatever it is. So again, that's one for TJ to answer but for me and I think for everyone looking on yesterday, there's no indications there as to why he shouldn't play next year. No. I, I look scale at Zlatan Ibrahimovic at 41 years of age signing another contract with AC Milan. You look at the nick that Cristiano Ronaldo was in at 37, I think, uh, when it comes around to February. TJ Reid is still operating at a very, very high level. You know, touch wood, the guy doesn't pick up any kind of injuries along the way. But if you're TJ yeah. Reid, you're probably thinking, I can go for a few more years, not just maybe one next year. There's probably a couple of more years left in TJ Reid. Well, I think I think his professional life helps him as well. Mm. You know, and, and you consider like he, he runs his own gym below. So like he's got the... I'd say, I would say he hasn't got a... A rigorous kind of kind of job to say or a tough job to say that for, from a physical perspective and he has a facility where he can train himself um, he's in great nick he's in super nick there's no reason like normally with, with uh, and I have to say with, with Henry you could nearly see a small bit of a decline coming in as in his last year where he was coming on and say and you're saying right that's probably, probably he's going to bow out and nearly he nearly forced the issue to say but with TJ there's no decline and if there's no decline and if the body is good that's two major elements <laughs> that, that will tell you to, to keep going so I I don't see a world where TJ's not playing next year. I don't see a world where he's not playing the year after. Let's say bar, barring a drastic issue of an injury, as you just noted. Let's say um, so. Like yeah, he'll be back next year, and I hope himself and, T- and Richie are both back next year. Well, I'll give you both a shout on this. Where does this final rank of ones in recent years? For me, it's definitely the best final since eighteen straight away because we've had kind of one-sided events in nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Um, probably going back to the three drawn finals in my head at least of twenty twelve. The Clare and Cork game 2013, the drawn game, and like 2014, which is probably the best final I've ever seen. Since then, is this the best final that we saw yesterday? Yeah, I'd say it has to be, really. Um, trying to think back now on the rest. I know James will look back fondly on like Galway and Waterford, which was an entertaining contest as well in 2017, but I don't know. I'll, you, I'll, you tell, you straight, I'll, I'll tell you straight, I would, like, in terms of the game, I'd say the actual game, yeah. yes, from, from a support or from a player perspective, 17 was magic mm. and 18 was shit. Right, but in, in terms of the actual games themselves, like, you know, uh, 14, it's hard for me to look past 14 the first day. Yeah. It's, ha- it's very hard for me. Um, as the contest 12 the first day, I'd imagine, was a good game because it was, it was. the first drawn final in some, some I think, was it 50 years or something crazy like that? 
It, yeah, it'd been it'd so, been a long crazy, time. Like, so, yeah. so as 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 it's probably a spectacle for the neutral and for supporters alike, I'd say twelve was a very very exciting contest. Um, so it was thirteen towards the end. But in terms of a game, in terms of everything that it had, fourteen for me was just was shit hot. <laughs> just in fairness, you know, in fairness, it was. <laughs> so this is the best one then. I'm not ranking it with fourteen, but maybe the best one since fourteen. I would, I, I would say so. Yeah, yeah, it I has to be. I in agree. terms of a spectacle, it was it was absolutely brilliant, and the amount of scores. Like I was saying to you, I was sitting beside uh, two lads. One was from Cork, one was from Leitrim, and I don't know what stage the match it was. Maybe will it was like you were saying there was thinking four scores in a minute and a half. But the two lads were sitting beside me, and they're like, they're not fucking missing. They're not, they're not hitting wides. Like what, what's going on? And they could see the hits that were going in. Like they could just see that. You know, there was nothing easy out there. Like, you know, there's lads going and getting hit hard, turning. You had a fraction of a second to have a look at the goals, pop it over the bar. Um, and it was just, like, it, it was enthralling. Yes, I'd say what 2014 just about has over it is there was a little less structure, I suppose, in 2014 in terms of there was a lot more. I saw someone had it up a clip today because this conversation was up. And I think there was about a minute and a half of, it was just a slobber knocker of lads driving the ball out. Someone thinks they're free. They go to clear a ball. They get hooked. Someone's in on the ground. They rise it up. They get shouldered. The ball drop, And it just went back and forth. So I think that's why, from a spectacle point of view, but that's been very hard on the game yesterday as well because it was a brilliant game. And I think... You know, we kind of just have to be grateful that we got such a great game because there's nothing more disappointing when you tee up such a great match and then nothing. It's a dead rubber and something, you know, it just falls flat. So it's brilliant that we're sitting here today talking, saying, is it up there with one of the greatest matches we've ever seen? Well, James, I'll give you the floor on Hurler of the Year. We're going to pick our team of the year next year and we're going to do a more next week. nuanced... Or next, next week. week. Next, next God, week. next Jesus, year. come on. Next, next week. <laughs> we're going to really take our time. I know Skehel likes his lists and stuff like this. We're going to go can, in January. First I can January. only imagine how full the notebook would be if we came back for episode 23 on the first he'd week have, of January. He'd have a new team of, the, team of the year every week anyway. No Hurling being played. Lads, I had, I had to go back there and change that. Lads, I had to change well, Scale, you tweeted, I think, pretty much at full time in the game about your hurler of the year, and you were going for uh, Dermot Burns. Like, no great surprise. I'll let you make the argument for him, but like, Dermot Burns scored more in the championship this summer than Patrick Horgan. 36 points oh, from wing back. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually didn't know how much he scored, to be honest. Um, but he, like, what constitutes a hurler of the year, right? So it's doing their job above everybody else you know to a level above everybody else and he has just been a prime example of that let's say and everyone will look at the scores and that's great the scores are really good they're excellent don't get me wrong but their scores in, in, in intense pressure from long 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 distances let's say but also he's a savage defender like people I don't think they, they give enough appreciation to the man for, for the way he's able to defend and he's high field and he's like uh He's like when you're looking out and you see Tommy on one wing and JJ on the other wing, you're going, shit, which, which where do I go at this ball? Do you know what I mean? Because you, you know, when you, when you put it down high, it's going to stick to his hand. And the same with Burns. I, it's a rarity now, probably has happened, where it's a rarity he gets outfielded you know, so, and, and, and outran because he's, he's strong. He's, uh, he's, he's obviously ranging in the air. He can catch anything. He's fast. You know what I mean? And he's got two good sides and he can strike the ball a country mile. You know what I mean? And, and, and when you piece all that together and he does it to the best of the level uh, that anybody else has produced this year, He's my hurler of the year, and um, and it, but again, if you if you give me a counter argument for somebody else, if you said Barry Nash, it would be very hard to argue. If you said Declan Hannon, it's hard to argue. Do you know what I mean? Because the margins are so fine when you get to a, an award of this prestige, because the people we're talking about obviously have produced the goods day in day out. And just for me, for him, for consistency, I think he's he's my my uh, my main guy. Paul Murphy, the floor is yours to counter. No, I'm not going to counter anything there. Steer, uh, oh, I thought going to go for Nash. No, I tell you, like I can't, if you ask me, it. if you ask me before throwing yesterday, who are the three? Fe- who will be the three nominations for her of the year? And again, 
the scale said it there fine margin this is really fine margins with all these lads but I would have said the three nominations would have been Barry Nash Aaron Galan and Adrian Mullen that's where I thought it was but just like, but Jeremy Burns, I'm talking like a hair's breadth from being within those trees. So it was very fine. But the influence he had on the game yesterday, um, you know, it, I'm not being completely just swayed by yesterday. He was in the conversation all year in terms of his performances. Um, but then just after seeing yesterday, even the score he got in the first half there, puck out comes down, catches it, drives forward, nothing on the mind, only put it over the bar. Like he's just such an influential player. So and like I, I'll be honest, I really want to lean towards Barry Nash or something. Like he's been incredible. And I think after the Munster final, if you ask me who Hurler of the Year was, I would have said Barry Nash. Um it's so like these are really fine marriages and we're very lucky to have you know, so many people that are putting their names forward for there. You know, after the semi-final there against Clare, Adrian Mullen, you were looking at him going, five points from play, you know, I think set up another three, you're going, Jesus, that's that's serious stuff there as well. Um, but as a cornerback, I was busting for Barry Nash there, <laughs> like, you know, give me a reason, or Mikey Butler, someone, give me a reason, I can put you on the hurler of the year. But no, I think you have to give it to Jim Burns. He's just, he's been excellent, like, you know, and he's just such a great hurler to watch. He's a powerhouse, and like you said, to be scoring more than Patrick Horgan and you're at right half back, that's that's incredible. But, but it's, it's in the sign of the times as well, like that uh, we're, we're talking about backs and the jobs mm-hmm. they do nowadays. Like, cause yeah. like, by my count now, another list, I could be wrong here, there's only been five backs in the last 27 years, hurler of the year. Yeah, yeah and you know, the last one I did a quick check before we came on was Tommy Welch, and you have to go back over 10 years for that. Yeah, you have to go Tommy in 09, you have, to, you have mm. Sean Ogue in 04, JJ, Brian Corcoran, and Brian Lohan. Back, yeah. back as far as 95. So. And I don't think there's ever been a fullback earlier of the year in terms of someone from the fullback line. So that would have been Brian Lohan, 95. He was the first. Oh, sorry, it was Lohan. Oh, that yeah. was it. Oh, yeah, you're right too. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, it's just, I, um, my, my point is, let's say, it's like a sign of the times that, that the backs are kind of in the. in the conversation more and yeah. more it's just the way the game has gone let's say but yeah like we're talking about potentially three backs in, in the yeah. nominees when you talk about Jacqueline Nash and, uh, and Jeremy Burns but yeah who's yours with? Yeah I'm, I'm going towards you know I'm actually going to use your metric to a certain extent here on Burns because I was having to think about this last night when the Sunday game were picking it and it's like the only game I can think of where he hasn't been an 8 or a 9 out of 10 pretty much across the year in the championship was the Tipperary game where the halfback line in general for Limerick were a little bit shaky that day. But, you know, not exactly taking out of the conversation of anything. I remember, I think we actually said at the time that up until then, Dermot Burns had looked the most impressive player at the first two or three rounds of the championship. And then after that, he's been Mr. Consistent and such an important player. Limerick gets so many scores from that half-back line. It's, so, it's sometimes overlooked you know, when we talk about teams being shut down and this idea that, say, like if you're going against Clare, if you can get a handle on that Clare half-forward line, you've got a good chance of stopping them and so on. In the case of Limerick, if their half-forward line has a day where they misfire, say the full forward line aren't getting a huge amount of scores, their half-back line will generally contribute quite a few scores during the game. Yeah. And Burns has been chief among them. And yeah, I think his, his defending has been a little bit underrated. And it was interesting to hear Davy Fitzgerald last night talking about the fact that maybe he wasn't the most natural defender when he was finding his way into the position at wing-back, but he's been working on it continually. And I think you've got to respect that. No one's, no one's cleaned out Dermot Burns this season. He's been really, really good. So I think for that, you go from... I was definitely edging towards Aaron Galan for quite a bit of the year. And I think it's only fair enough that Aaron Galan would be majorly in the conversation. Like Even though we talked about Hugh Lawler having a good game Galan still had quite a few meaningful contributions during the game in the All-Ireland Final and I take Murph's point as well there is a certain amount of waiting towards an All-Ireland Final so Burns just had a really good semi-final and a really good final 
and that has to help his argument when it comes to winning it as well so yeah. guaranteed to be on the all-star team and I think there's a very good chance that Burns uh, wins first yeah first defender since 2009 which is which is a hell of an achievement because nearly every year we're drawn towards the star midfielder or forward or whoever does most of the scoring naturally tends to win her of the year yeah. Like, who's going to be young her dear? That's a tough one to say now at the moment. It's a tough one now, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I think Keen Kenny might just pip that because he's been starting and because he had a good semi final and different things. Like again, the Carl O'Neill. Like I think I picked him out I picked him out after the Munster final. I you know, for young her of the year. Um so it, it, that's probably a tougher one in terms of a front runner there uh, as to who'll actually get it. But it's probably look, it's between the two boys now. But so if you consider, was, if you consider well, the league, Murph, mm. you got to give Colin Neal a very good chance as well. Like he hurled very consistently throughout the yeah. year. See, I don't. To be honest, if if I'm to say who I think the All Star Committee will give it to. I don't know does the league really come into it that's just me that's not me saying that it shouldn't I think it should yeah. absolutely it's, it's, it's definitely we, weighted down but yeah. I think when it comes to young hurler it should be maybe more of a consideration than hurler yeah it should we, we often just forget about the league really now maybe not so much now because you know it's so condensed and it's a little bit closer but oftentimes there's been players have had savage leagues and not that you're expected that that just carries over and you have a, a very average championship and it doesn't count but you know, the closer you get to the to the to the I suppose business end of the year, that's where obviously the, you get more points for your performances. Um, but it, it is going to be a tough one. That's a very hard one to call, young hurler dear. Who do you think, Scal? It's a tough one because like, normally you'd always say it's under twenty one. That that was the rules of old, I say. And I'm I'm actually struggling to think now who who produced standout performance today in the out at that age. Like I hadn't even thought King Kenny to be honest. I hadn't been mm. thought of him. I, I caught him. He was my guy up to a point to say, but it's it's it's. And I, if he gets it, I won't argue it because like, yeah. he's he's been he's had positive impacts whether he started or come on. Uh, I just think that no one has really. I won't say stood out. No, they haven't. Probably, they haven't. That's really, probably the no. just. But there's been no twenty twenty one year old that has been head and shoulders above above the rest. Like you, you know, Owen Cody, like I said, when he won it two years like he was different gravy. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. He's the obvious choice to say, or the Conor Wheeler would say, whatever. Yeah. But this year. Like if if Cotterney gets it, yeah. If Kim Kenny gets it, yeah. If, yeah. if there's a if there's a bolter from somewhere, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> yeah, I think they're the two leading contenders. Something we can have a think about maybe a little bit more ahead of next week. And if anyone wants to get involved in the YouTube comments, by all means, fire it in. But yeah, I, I think as well when it comes to just the sheer amount of games. Like again, I was thinking about it last night and just trying to you know tease out other players that could fit into these teams purely because. You know, on the Sunday game team of the year they put Tony Kelly into corner forward which meant that Shane O'Donnell could be in there with the two Limerick boys in the half forward line and it's a way of making sure that Tony Kelly and Shane O'Donnell are both in the team rather than maybe having to make a hard decision and then I'm thinking uh, Conor Lahan maybe goes out of the championship a bit too early despite how good Lahan was during the year uh, to be considered into the team maybe the fact that Lee Chin was injured at the start and Wexford didn't go beyond the quarter final it makes it difficult to pick them there really is no exact science when it comes to picking these all-star teams or you know teams of the year. No, there's not. And I think I, the one thing I just don't like is just if, if you're trying to stretch it too far and another player loses out because you're trying to accommodate another player. Like if there's tough calls to make, there's tough calls. And I don't think anyone's going to begrudge if a lad played a nice bit at centre forward and you move him to right half forward or whatever it might be. But I think when you move lads through the lines, that's when it gets a little bit wishy-washy for me. Like, you know, and... Um, I appreciate, like, you know, it does make for a potentially a stronger team, but, like, again, it's you have to go back to the positions. Like, you know, we don't see it happening in other sports, and not that we go, oh, what are other sports doing? But I, I like to kind of stick a little bit more to the tradition of, well, if you play it at least in the line, grand, move a lad left or right, fine. But when you're moving them through lines to accommodate other lads and other players are losing out, I, I wouldn't be a fan of that now. Hmm. Yeah. 
One other topic before we go, lads, and that's the managerial merry-go-round <coughs> that has happened uh, during the week just gone by, which is probably going to result in Liam Cattle being the Tipperary manager. He may well even be proposed by the time the people listen to this pod or uh, get a chance to watch it. It looks like it's going to be fairly imminent over the next few days. But Colin Bonner removed from his position, I think is the fair way to put it. I know some people have even had it down as sacked after one year when he felt that he was going into a three-year programme and it was about bringing through some of those players that maybe hadn't got opportunities. We spoke throughout the year about how unlucky Tipperary were with injuries on the back of some key retirements. I was then watching Porek Mara, who was one of those uh, key players that retired last year and got the feeling when he was on OTBM that he was basically thinking that there was an understanding among some in Tipperary. And I know from talking to some friends, their feeling was that the championship campaign was disappointing and that they felt that they didn't particularly want Colin Bonner to be in charge next year. But what's been a fairly universal feeling from Tipperary fans and people outside there, James, is that it seems that even with the statement, with the way everything was handled, it doesn't look great on a legend of Tipperary hurling, a guy who's been a you know, games development officer within the county, who was a stellar hurler for the team, mm. who was realising an ambition to manage the side and was probably dealt a poor enough hand to yeah. get a fairly short statement and to be let go after he had gone in to put his plans in for 2023. Yeah, I just, th- I just think the whole thing lacked taste. Um, even the decision to remove him, first of all, the statement after, and then Colin Bonner's, his own statement was, was, was classy. You know, he just, there was no gripes or there was no kind of parting shots issued by him. It was really just best luck to Tipperary and thanks for everything involved, which was good. His stock went up after that, from my, my perspective. But the question was raised on the back of Tipperary's uh, exit of the championship a few weeks back. And I, I repeat, right, my answer to that question was, this is not soccer. Like, he, he, he was dealt a very, very difficult hand in terms of, you think of some of the players he lost. Again, we're talking about generation grace. So in Tipperary's... Uh, it, it should, or in Tiberi's um, situation there they lost you know, Park Brindon basically lost Bonner when you think of it that way as well you know, so you're losing major players and then had to lose James Cannon throughout the year then he introduced young players so if, you're, if you were giving him a brief you were saying to Tipperary, right challenge as best you can are you going to Ireland? no can you win Munster? potentially but introduce uh, the, there was an understanding there that you had to introduce some, some young players because they were in kind of a transitional mode you could say and I, I think the brief he was given, he, like, he satisfied that brief. He's introduced young fellas that we hadn't heard of, you know, who, who produced stellar performances. And all while he lost some of his big players, I just think it was highly, highly disrespectful. It shouldn't have happened. He should have at least been given a second year. Regardless of what you can implement <clears throat> in one year, you know, <clears throat> it should never really reflect you know, uh, a, a decision of that. It shouldn't happen. He should have been given two years. The third one, okay, we, 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 I think if he was to be let go after the second year after another probably a repeat bad performance or bad season, I'd say fair enough. But he had to be given two years at a minimum, let's say. And it just, I don't know, the whole thing seemed like it was it was structured from weeks out. You know, I, it's just, I thought it was very, very convenient that, that Liam Cattle resigned from Watford. Was it the day after or the day of? Less than 24 hours afterwards. Yeah, it just, it's it screamed to me, uh, now this could be one major coincidence, but I don't believe in coincidence, right? I just think that this is rehearsed a few weeks back, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Paula, I don't think it's coincidental at all. Um, notwithstanding that, like, Liam Cal has spoken to Tipperary County Board on two separate occasions to potentially take over as manager. We go back to when uh, Mick Ryan transitioned into Sheedy and then also when Bonner came in last year, it was very clear that Tipperary were interested in appointing Liam Cal at that point and agreements weren't found in either of those cases. Now, this time round, Liam Cal had said, we spoke with a few weeks back, he was on show sport and TG Carr. It was all full steam ahead, getting ready for December, can't wait to go back in, we're going to solve the issues that Waterford had in the year just gone by, we're going to have a better summer. 
And then Liam Cal makes himself available and leaves Waterford within a fairly short period of time after the Tipperary management had been removed. I think in this case, two plus two equals four. Yeah, like I mean, it, it, it all happened so quickly and um, within such a short space of each other that like it has to, it has to just point this direction. I don't see why Liam Cal would step away after making the commitments he said he was going to make, um, and then you know it was all like you said it was all going to be gung ho for Watford, and then you know there seems to be no smoke without fire here. The fact that then Colin Bonner is moved on, and now there's the open position. Like like you said, I expect probably by the time this show even comes out that we'll have Liam Cal as Tipperary manager but uh, yeah look I mean you have to it has to be all all roads point in that direction that look it was like like James was saying this was all planned a little a few weeks out well it all comes down to how quickly I can edit the video to decide if that happens before the news is actually out I'm going to try and get this out on Monday evening on YouTube if possible so something's gone wrong if you're not seeing this at 10pm on Monday uh, there are plenty of other uh, vacancies which we can talk about a bit next week as well uh, Leash are being heavily linked now with Tommy Dunn who was part of the management team with Colin Bonner last year uh, Dublin Waterford jobs are up for grabs currently so there's a few tasty positions out of next year we can maybe dig into them in a little bit more detail next week when we have our uh, final show of this run of Series 1 of the Hurt Pod. Lads, it's been great to chat to you and break down the All Ireland final, and we'll speak again next week. Sound lads.